0: Hello, lovely humans. I'm Y.O. Lee, and you are listening to Sex Stories, a podcast that hopes to help smash any barriers between us and our valid, legal and consensual, and risk-aware as possible, sexual desires in an effort to normalize how we clarify and communicate our needs to ourselves and others. Our guest today is a 43-year-old Irish-American cishet male. He is married with four kids, identifies as polyamorous, Likes the idea of sex parties and is into giving to partners, group sex, and dreams of a lifestyle of free love amongst friends. He's is newly-ish exploring kink, practicing, receiving deeply, and is currently finally figuring out who he is as a sexual being. A professional musician for a decade and a half, originally from New York City, he is a paramedic in Texas. Welcome, Mickey.
1: Hey, Wyo, Nice to see you. How you doing?
0: I'm awesome, and I'm so excited to hear if you had to rate yourself on a sexual shame with 10 being the most full of shame and one being not so shamey at all,
1: where do you fall right now? Somewhere between zero and one. Nice. Yeah, it's absolutely like you get to be in your 40s, and this beautiful thing happens where all of the stuff you used to worry about when you were young and still forming your ideas and what you like and what you don't like, it all just falls away, and now... It's like I've been through half my life. Why am I going to spend the other half of it worrying what other people think about stuff that doesn't have anything to do with them? So I live in this beautifully, mostly shame-free existence now, and it's awesome. I can't recommend it enough to other people. You'll Amazing. get it. I promise.
0: Okay, I was going to say, do you have any practical tips for those of us who maybe are 33 and are like, no, I get it. No, I get it. I kind of am there sometimes, but like, is there like a tangible method you have or is it just like 40 and then you're like, I don't give a fuck?
1: You know, I wish that there was like a recipe or or something that I could tell you that would just make you do it. But it's just one of those things where you get tired of feeling a certain way, you know, because who you are and what you like and what you do with other people is never going to change. Eventually, you realize that no matter what person X, Y, or Z over there to the right thinks, that thing that makes you you is never going to change. So why worry about that? Because it's not applicable. It doesn't matter. It just gets there. You just get there in time. I I wish that there was some magic wand to wave, but there isn't. I hope so. I hope so. (laughs) Can you please tell us a little bit about what your sex life is like right now and your favorite parts? Right now, I have two teenage girls and I have a three-year-old and a nine-month-old son. So you can imagine that so much of my time and that of my partner is like wrapped up with all of this caretaking, yeah. driving people to cheerleading, changing diapers. I mean, it's because they're so far in age, like there's like two completely separate sets of challenges and responsibilities happening simultaneously. So the fact that we have sex at all is sort of a minor miracle. Totally. But we've gotten really, really, really good lately about carving that time out intentionally. Because of some of the complications of the last two pregnancies, we went through periods after each pregnancy where, like, we weren't able to have sex for like a while, like months mm, at a time. Wow. Just because of physical healing and emotional healing and all this stuff. And we, in some ways, were able to strengthen our relationship on other sides of it because we couldn't just rely on sex as a crutch.
0: Right. You don't have that built-in intimacy.
1: Yeah, we we really relearned all these other sides of intimacy, just connecting, holding hands, making time for each other, even if it's five, seven, eight minutes at a time, just making it hers and mine. And that's it. Mm. But now we're really getting back into the flow of being able to like not just have sex, because, you know, when the babies were both pretty young. It was literally like, let's run into the bedroom right now. We have seven minutes. Let's just get it. We, it's better than nothing. Let's get it done. You know, but now we we actually have time. They're going to daycare and the kids are in school. The older ones during the day. So now sometimes when we both have time off of work and we're both home alone, it's like we have all day, dude. We can like, yeah, let's bust out the toys, Let's do crazier things. Like, let's get back to it. Right. So we're finally oh, like yeah. getting that stride and it's been so much fun. Oh, my gosh.
0: I am so glad to hear that. Okay, can you give us your personal definition of sexy?
1: What is sexy to Mickey? The biggest things that I find sexy are confidence and curiosity. I think that those two things together let you explore a whole world of things, you know? And I'm also very visual. And I think it's just like the very, like, I I think it's left brain, you know, the artist brain. Like, that's totally me. I love, like, visual data, you know, and also sound, you know? Like, to Mm -hmm. me, the right music can make something so much better than it was with just, you know, room air, you know, or whatever. I find myself obsessed all the time by like little visual things that maybe other people might not think about, right? Like somebody else might be turned on by like the actual sexual event happening in a porn video, for example. And to me, it's like, wow, the way her underwear sits over her hip. Like there's just something so sexy about that or the way her hair curves over her neck or the way that she looked at him right before man, that stuff to me is so much more sexy necessarily than just mechanical penetration or or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Like all that stuff's easy. Achieving those other levels of sexuality to me are so much more like, it makes it so much more of a coherent and complete experience, you know? Yeah, totally. Here's my question for you as,
0: a musician and someone who pays attention to visual detail, is the visual setting of a porno important to you? And what about music? Because music's probably the number one thing that takes me out of
1: especially a lot of amateur porn. Oh, sure. Both of those things are so important. And on top of that as well, context. Mm-hmm. If it's just person A, person B, they're in the same room, so let's just get it done. I can't connect to that at all. Mm-hmm. There needs okay. to be some of story or some sort of reason like some sort of like established attraction I, I don't know that's why so much of what passes for pornography it just doesn't do it for me yeah yeah and music the minute that you put music on and it's not sexy i'm like okay we're done with this one move along
0: okay so that's my next question for you what's the sexiest music
1: according to mickey so i listen to all kinds of things but we come back time and time again to trip hop stuff like massive attack and tricky and Portishead those types of things, they're just sensual. The tempo is like a nice, slow, medium tempo that you can actually like do things to and with and feel like the music is flowing in and out while you're Ooh. doing things, you know? And it just has that sexy beat, you know? And a lot of the voices are very breathy and sexy. So yeah, that's that's really been a go-to for us time and again. Amazing, and thank you for those recommendations. When
0: do you feel sexy?
1: I feel sexy when I know that there's true enthusiasm Coming from the other side for me, you know. Yes, um, yes, good answer. Yes, I didn't feel like sexy or attractive or you know even a, a very sexual being when I was younger, and straight through high school, I had like very bad self confidence issues. And now knowing that someone is really invested physically, but also spiritually or emotionally or all three yeah. in the experience with me just puts me into it so easily. And if I feel like any one of those things is lacking, it takes me right out of it, you know? And then I'm worried about the other person, you know, like, are you doing this when you don't want to, or is there something you're not telling me? And then I get so into my own head, it's, it's over. It's just not going to happen, you know? So I feel sexy when someone is perceiving me as sexy and the idea of what we're going to do together is sexy. Mm, I love that. I love answers where the consent is built in
0: because that's for me too. That's my number one stopper is like, I'm not totally sure. Are we... uh, okay. Okay. Fuck yeah. Enthusiastic yeses are sexy. Now tell us what counts
1: as sex for you. So to me, I don't know if this is going to be like too broad of a definition for most people, but to me, any exchange of energy back and forth, to me, that's basically sex, right? If, if that's where your brain is like, it doesn't have to be physical. It can be a conversation and you don't even have to be talking about sex or implying that you want to have sex. But if there's that subcurrent, It's sex adjacent, if not actual sex. And then even just a look, like when you see someone across a room or a bar or something and that spark happens, that's not not sex, right? Like, it's sex to me, it's, you know, to me, it's close enough. Like, that fits into that thing where it's putting me in the mood or the mind for more physical manifestations of it. But the mental side is just as important, if not more so. So you have to acknowledge the mental sides as being sexy or... It's like in the category of sex.
0: Yeah. And as a young person, did you ever have a grown-up you trusted explain to you what sex was or give a sex talk or have a talk with you about what consent
1: was? Oh, my God. I got the mother of all consent slash sex slash like the mechanics of a talk. Like my mom, she was an RN for like 30 years before she retired. And I have a twin brother and I have another younger brother who's two years younger. Now there's six of us total, but back then there was only the three of us. She sat us all down in the living room one day, and there's, like, a cucumber on a cutting board, and we're like, what the hell is going on here? How old are you? Maybe 10 or 11. I mean, this was well before I think that I was even really cognizant of sex beyond, like, just the purest of, like, you know, peripheral background. I'm aware that there's something that adults talk about that they get really squirrely and weird about sometimes, right? But I don't know what it is. So she sat down and explained to us the entire thing. Like, this is where babies come from. The penis goes in the vagina, like, well, like all of this stuff. And then the cucumber, she had us put condoms on and then made sure that we did it correctly, Amazing. Like, pinching it up, leaving room for semen and like, you don't want it to break. And then if it breaks, this is what you do. And like, we just went through all of that stuff. So the mechanics of it, we went through the entire thing. And then she was like, well, now that you understand the concepts, This is what you need to have happen before this stuff can happen. And like, then we had this huge consent talk, like a maybe is not a yes, like a yes, but they seem uncomfortable is not a yes, you know? And she just went down the line and like, just made it super clear. You don't act unless someone acts like you don't make an advance unless you really think someone wants it, you know? And it actually got to the point where that consent talk sort of scared me away from trying to engage in being a sexual being pretty much all through high school because I was seeing my friends make these mistakes mm-hmm. I was seeing women get pressured into things that they didn't want to do I was seeing friends of mine that were that were men that were boys that were making these mistakes that were putting people in these uncomfortable positions and then like my female friends would come up to me after like man I just that didn't go the way I wanted and I'm like I know because you guys didn't talk about X y and Z first and you know, so I, I was in this weird position where I was, like so cognizant of how it could work best, but not having the like mental ability to to say, "I can do this and follow these rules and not offend someone. and And currently, I think that it was also my lack of self-confidence that almost used consent against myself as a weapon,
0: ok. So I hear that so hard, and I can compare it to anecdotally people I know in my life, and then, the lovers or definitely people who didn't become lovers because their behavior was atrocious the people i've maybe dated or gone out with or attempted and i do see a pattern of all of society gets hurt when the ones that listen like follow the rules in air quotes for lack of a better phrase and then i know so <laughs> many dudes that are that, that share something similar and i'm like no we need you okay so okay you get it
1: i do but i think that the conversation isn't complete i think that's why I think that you can set all these boundaries. Everybody talks about like, when you even have a good conversation about what not to do, it's so centered about what not to do. But so rarely does somebody then ask the follow-up question like, oh, okay, so I know what not to do now. What do I do? I sure do. Yeah, you talk to friends and like, like a woman, you know, like some of my friends when we've had these conversations, I'm like, how do you want to be approached? Like, how would you get approached that you could walk away from saying, that's exactly how I want that to have happen. And it's not because I need that information now, because I'm very comfortable now at being able to do that. But it's for the benefit of like friends of mine that are peripheral to this conversation that like, they don't know. And that's why you have all these men being like, Oh, this is like, now I don't even know what to do. I don't even know how to talk to a woman. Like, dude, just don't be a jerk. Like start with that. And then ask, Yeah, ask women, talk to women. That's like the biggest thing. Men are doing,
0: but also, there's another side to that conversation, which I've experienced in dating, which is why we have to talk about this stuff. Also, this goes really good into the next question. But it's I receive a lot dudes who don't want to take any responsibility, and they show up and they just want me to be their brand new teacher to the point where I've started to be like, "Hi, I do talk about sex for work." Over the course of three and a half, almost four years, I have accumulated a lot of knowledge. I am not a free teacher in my personal sex life. Like, yes, communicate with me, but this is not a ask me questions and then you're done and you get the good boy check mark and you move on and now you get to choke me without talking about it again. That doesn't happen. You know, so it's it's complex and I think it really is teaching that dialogue. And I, I imagine that you have a lot to teach us based on what we know about you so far. And so on that same note and in that same vein, what happens to your shame meter when it's time to talk about safer sex? And can you give us your example of that conversation of like a what
1: to do thing? there in that situation absolutely my shaman meter doesn't move at all i think it's also helped me that i've had to talk to like teenage children of mine Mm -hmm. about how to ask for these things right so like if i'm ashamed to try to set boundaries how can i expect the children i'm trying to teach to stand up for themselves too right so to me even in some of the experiences that we'll get into later that i've had outside of the traditional monogamous situation We did a lot of research before we dug into that stuff. So I learned very quickly how best to have these conversations. And to me, it always boils down to like the most simple, direct, honest thing that you can ask for is the best, right? Like these are the things I like. These are the things I don't like. These things are negotiable. And then you leave no room for wiggle room because I find that like people that get burned on these like boundary and consent conversations we're trying not to seem hard ass, you know, like, okay, I could set the boundary, but then when someone challenges it in real time, when we're naked and, you know, the trip hop is on and the lights are so nice. Oh, why don't I just let it happen this one time? And then, you know, we can talk about it after Nah, You already ruined it, man. Like oh, somebody that violated that once is going to not understand why they can't violate it again. Absolutely. So it has to be firm and then you have to defend it. You know what I mean? That And, and then if it's simple and honest, There's no way to misinterpret it without seeming really dumb.
0: Well, I totally know what you mean. And I'm really good at establishing, affirming, reaffirming, enforcing my boundaries. And I think recently I was like, wait a second. I seem to explode people sometimes when I do that. (laughs) And so that's the part for so many years I've been like, I don't understand what's happening. And now I'm noticing the pattern is boundary related. You know, and also to circle back to what you were saying earlier about we need not just the what not to do, but also the what to do. I've also had conversations with people here or out in the world where it's a similar like, what do you do for safer sex? How do you do this? And they tell me what they do and then they want to engage with me personally. And it's so interesting sometimes how what they tell me does not mirror my actual experience with them. So it's sometimes it's like people think that because they're like, oh, yeah, I'm the type of person that has safer sex conversations. You want to hook up? And then I'm like, OK, but where's our conversation? Oh, you want me to start it? You want me to be the teacher? You know, so it's like all of that. Do you feel comfy telling us when you started talking to your kids about safer sex stuff or sex in general?
1: Yeah, sure. So, you know, I thought that my mom really had the right idea. So I just thought that she front loaded it all at once. You know what I mean? Like that was a heavy conversation and had a lot of moving parts for a 10 or 11 year old. Or whatever. Yeah. So instead, what my current partner and I in particular have done, because she's a social worker, so she really gave me a lot of like verbal tools to talk about like serious, important, complex things with children whose brains are still forming, right? And I think if I hadn't met her and hadn't had that, I might not have done as good of a job. But we instilled things gradually, starting at a certain level and then adding to the complexity as they became more able to understand certain things. The internet has complicated that to a certain extent because kids are going to find stuff out. If you don't talk to them, they're going to find it out and it's not going to be where you want it to come from. Yes. So we got ahead of it and, you know, we talked to them early and really just focused on like, this is your body. This is yours. No one can do whatever they want to it. This is like, you know, your sacrosanct thing. You control the ins, the outs, like whatever happens to it. We started with that. Like, this is yours. You don't have to hug a relative if you don't want to. You don't have to shake anybody's hand. You don't have to do anything you don't want to. If you're not comfortable, don't do it and we'll back you up. We just started with that. And then as they got a little older, you build on those concepts. And now my oldest daughter is 15. So like we've had the full 100% physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, like these are all the things that you should get out of an experience like this. This is what you should ask for. This is what you should prevent. This is what you should protect yourself from. Don't let anyone tell you different. So now my 15 year old, I don't worry about her at all. Beautiful. She identifies as queer. (laughs) The the other reason I don't worry about her at all right now is because she's so awkward. I can't stand it. I just want to shake her and be like, "Dude, you don't have to be so scared. Like, nothing is going to happen that's going to hurt you, right? Like, you're you're okay. You know, you're you're smart. You're funny. You're beautiful. Like, just go out there and be yourself. You know." But she's just not there Mm yet. My middle daughter is autistic, and that required a little more fine tuning of the process because she's 13 now. Developmentally, she's more like nine or 10. Okay. so we're still having to like softball that, talk about it in broad strokes, reaffirm it constantly. That's been working well, too. Yeah. And then I have a long time until I have to worry about it with my sons. We're still almost a decade away from that. Amazing.
0: Could you concretely give us a little example of how you would ideally have a safer sex conversation unfold? Let's say maybe if it was you and your partner looking
1: to play with other partners or something, however it would come up for you. Okay. So ideally before, I I think that like the people that try to have those conversations in the moment before the actual sex starts, you're already too late. That's not the proper time, right? Especially if we've had a few drinks beforehand or whatever the case is, smoke weed, whatever. While I do like the idea of spontaneity, if it's the first time that you're going to be playing with someone or you think that it's possible, it's so much better to just get out in front of it and be like, hey, yes. We're noticing some attraction here. You know, I know that you guys are coming over for dinner, like in the event that something was to happen. Generally speaking, this is what we like, what we don't like, what's off the table completely, you know, and then the the X, Y, and Z could be negotiated. Where are you guys? And then even if they're like, whoa, we don't want to have sex with you at all. Then we're like, oh, okay, cool. So sorry, but at least if you did, we avoided awkwardness. It's got to be direct. It's got to be Beforehand, it's gotta be sober. I yes,
0: love that utter clarity. Love it. Okay. Now take us through your formative sexual timeline, starting with your early years.
1: I have two very, very, very distinct memories. And they happened pretty soon after each other. Like, and it was like going from being a kid that had no idea to all of a sudden, you know, like realizing that that I was having sexual feelings. And the first was my mom had this book. I think it was some sort of like self-help book or, or something philosophical or whatever. It was called Chop Wood, Carry Water. I'll never forget it. And I remember, I thought the title was weird. And I'm like, what is my mom reading? And I was in her room one day to get something. And I started flipping through the pages of this book. And there were illustrations of a man and a woman having sex. And I think, if I remember correctly, I had reread the book later on. And it was like about how you could approach like sex consensually and and whatever, as adults. I think that that's what they were doing in that book. But for me, I saw the pictures and I'm like, what is this? What are these people doing? You know, and then I remember that shortly after that, I got a cassette player. And one of the first cassettes that I got was Whitney Houston's first album. And I distinctly remember that she was the first human that I was ever physically attracted to. And I pictured myself doing those things from the book, even though I didn't know what they were, with Whitney Houston in that, like, teased out 80s. The yeah. Big, oh, big yeah. Shadow, the big hoop earrings. Like, I still find some of that stuff kind of sexy, that 80s book, because it was so formative for me, right? Mm-hmm. And then shortly after that, my mom and my stepfather rented Basic Instinct, and they had no idea what it was. So now this is, like, a little bit later. The Shop would carry water. Whitney Houston thing was probably, like, 89. So about 1991-ish, I'm a little bit older, my parents rent Basic Instinct. And they realized that, oh, wow, this movie is way sexier than we thought. So they were telling us to, like, look away during the sex scenes. But we had a bookshelf that had glass fronting to it, but I could see the entire thing. And, man, like, the Sharon Stone scene with the skirt and, like, you know, freaking out all the police officers was one thing. But then the scene where Michael Douglas and Janine Triplehorn have their sex scene and he's like totally dominant, pushes her over the couch, grabs her hair, rips her skirt. That seemed so, I had a like ba- like a like a formative idea of what sex was, but that seemed so like animal and primal and interesting. And I just had no idea that it, that it was like that, you yeah. know? And I, I guess I sort of pictured it very like, we do this mechanical thing in the dark and babies happen, right? And then this felt like, well, no, they look like they're having fun. I want to know more about that. And that's right around when I saw my first porn movie and then I started exploring, talking to other people. So the basic instinct was sort of like a jump off point of like, wow. no, no, this isn't just like a mechanical baby making thing. This is part of your life. It's like a culture, lifestyle, like fun event, you know? Wow. Okay. So when did that
0: lead to you figuring out the physical feelings of it, either with yourself or others and like Did sex ed in school happen? I know you'd gotten a very thorough talk, but like, what was your friend group like? Like, what was the social climate sphere vibe like for you?
1: Sure, sure. So sex ed at my school, I graduated high school in 1996. So you could imagine that prior to that, like 92 to 96, sex ed was not comprehensive. They split us up. I mean, I've heard this story a lot from other guests on your podcast where like, this is a common thing. I don't know why, but they think that girls need to learn these specific things and boys need to learn these specific things. And they wonder why men don't understand how menstruation works still. Right. Or, you you know, so they did that to us. We didn't understand much. I learned so much more from my friend group because I had a couple of friends, even in early high school, that were very sexually active. They were very comfortable with it. I mean, even to the point where, like, sexual things would happen at parties or whatever. And one friend of mine in particular and his girlfriend had no problem having sex in front of all of us, which now I understand like, oh my God, you violated so many boundaries and consent. But at the time it was almost like, oh, now I'm seeing in real time, like how this works. Yeah. You know, I was intrigued by it in a way, you know, and now I think that it's lent itself possibly to some voyeuristic tendencies that have gone on later in life. You know what I mean?
0: I do. Well, and, and it's complicated because the more I talk to humans, the more I'm like, Oh, consent is very important. A lot of people like stuff that's actually rapey, kind of rapey, actually rapey. Hmm. OK, well, we have some issues here.
1: Right. So the culture in that time, I, I also have to mention, I didn't know anything about like uh, queer people at all. I had yeah. no idea. it was present in my school. And I found out later on that friends that I'd had for years were gay and were mm-hmm. dating each other. And I had no idea because they had to hide it for like physical safety there was one out lesbian couple that I remember that they would walk along the, the commons of my high school holding hands and dudes would throw rocks at
0: them. Holy shit. So this is in New York City growing
1: up too, like the biggest city. Like so, the, the so city. Yeah, I went to high school like a little bit north of New York City. Okay. But even still like this was still, we were an hour away maybe. Right, like that's the, it, we were, yeah. You know, Yeah, this wasn't the cornfields of Iowa, right? Like you would think that there would be a little bit more like cosmopolitan vibe to like the Northeast, but nah like yeah these girls like risked physical harm just to be like nah we we like each other and we're gonna hold hands like fuck you and at the time I was like what are these girls doing like it didn't bother me per se like I never really felt any like hatred or ignorance towards it I just didn't understand why they would risk themselves like that and you know now I totally understand but back then I was like I just don't I don't get these kids at, at all yeah. So yeah, like my introduction to sex as like an active participant or even as someone who was like around it in my life with my friends was still very controlled, very head, very mono, very just, you know, almost like it was almost informed by this like 50s Norman Rockwell vibe. Well, it is. It, it was. It
0: literally was because a lot of the movie and media that we've grown up with over the past several decades, like literally started with that and it's grown off of that. And we didn't have examples of queer people. We still lack a lot of examples of queer people, which is what I hope to help change. But like we didn't have access to knowing about other people's experience if it was different than ours necessarily. So I totally get that. Wow. Lovers, this episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. We all know that the foundation to an awesome sex life is excellent mental and physical health, but if proper rest, exercise, and a healthy lifestyle aren't leading to the blood flow you'd like when and where you'd like it, check out BlueChew.com. BlueChew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable tablets at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever the opportunity arises, and the process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com. Consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you are approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part, it's all done online, so no visits to the doctor's office, no dealing with awkward physicians who aren't trained to talk about sex lives, plus no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet pack. They always say first impressions are important, but what about lasting impressions? Blue Chew and I want you to have better sex. Discover your options at BlueChew.com. Chew it and do it. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code LOVER at checkout. You just pay $5 for shipping. That is BlueChew.com promo code LOVER to receive your first month free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And thank you to Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. You mentioned that getting that talk from your mom, like there was kind of this, I don't want to put words in your mouth, Was it fear? What did it feel like? That kind of like, okay, I have to get this right. I have to not be boundary crossing. Like when
1: did you start touching yourself and other people? So touching myself happened way earlier. And as a matter of fact, I think it almost became a crutch so that I didn't have to try to put myself in a a situation where I had to ask if I could touch someone else. You know, Once I figured, oh, I can contain this to myself, that was part of what kept me insular, I think all through high school and like avoided the risk. I remember that the first time I think I really tried it, a couple of my friends had actually slept over my house. So we had a basement, which is where my mom would stick all of us boys. We had a big TV down there and we were watching TV and all my friends were there and we were all sleeping on the floor in this big pile of blankets and pillows and all this stuff, right? And I remember everybody fell asleep and I couldn't sleep. And we had learned that with these old TVs and the early cable boxes, If you set the cable box to the porn channel and then you turn the channel dial on the television itself to like two or one or whatever, you could get like a broken up. Scrambled porn. Scrambled. Yeah, yeah. Like of the porn. And so I had done that and I felt this urge to try to touch myself. And so I was already playing drums by that point. And this is a thing that's been like a thing for me my whole life. When you play drums, your hands get callousy and rough. And I had tried touching myself with my hands and I'm like, this doesn't feel good at all. This feels like fucking sandpaper. I don't yeah. like this. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> why do, like how does anybody like this? And it didn't occur to me because I'm a kid, like, oh well, it's because your hands are all torn up, dude. I had a pillow that was super soft. So I just like folded it up and, and used that. And I was like, oh that oh that's what that that's the thing that feels good. Okay, cool. Like the whole big pillow, are you folding it around or or was it like a fold it so it's in half and then there's like a space in between. So the soft, bottom soft on top, it's almost like vaginal. How do you hold it? You just push it down or put another pillow on top of it or whatever, right? Like you figure out ways to do it, right? And then when you came... Well, no, no, not then. Not then. Okay. I was trying to be quiet. It was, are my friends going to wake up? And then I was too... Like, so I just tried it to see how it would feel. Cool. But then once I realized that it felt good later on when I was by myself, then I would, you know, I would use it that way. And then you just like pull out and ejaculate into something so you don't make a mess, right? Like you learn <laughs> all that.
0: Well, not everyone does. I've interviewed enough people to know.
1: (laughs) So, yeah, I started that way. And um, that's basically still the way that I have to do it because my hands aren't any softer, really, you know. Wow. Okay. So, wait, did you ever talk about it with your brother, your twin? No, no. I mean, that's the funny thing about that time period, too, is that, like, you had friends and you would talk about sex with your friends in very specific, limited ways. Okay. You know, and, it, and with the boys that I was friends with at the time, there was almost a competitive element to it, yes. a, I a, heard you that. know, like all the toxic masculine shit that, like, we're still trying to get rid of today. We were living it hard back then. Yeah. Occasionally, sex would come up with my friends that were girls, and that felt like a minefield to me, because I'm like, I don't want to say anything that's going to make you feel weird or, or whatever. So I would almost bow out of those conversations. You know, they probably thought that I was, like, super prude. It was just like, no, I don't want to hurt you or make you feel uncomfortable. But with my family, with my brothers, outside of that one talk that I had with my mom, we just didn't discuss it. And then, like, it didn't, it was never a thing that we talked about ever until, like, the first time that my mom caught me having sex with my first, like, real girlfriend in the house. And then it was like, okay, to further our boundary conversation, like, if you're going to do this, maybe the leather couch in the living room is not the best fucking (laughs) venue.
0: Maybe put a blanket down. Wait, okay, so... Fill in the gaps for us. How did we go from now we're touching ourselves and there aren't partners yet to like now we're getting a new boundaries conversation? Was that your first partnered experience or or do we have some things in
1: between? Yeah. So actually, so many of my firsts all happened with the same person. Shortly after high school, I went to college very briefly. I was there for a semester. I really liked this girl. We started talking. I thought she was going to be my first girlfriend. And then she got toxic shock syndrome from a tampon. Went to the hospital, almost died, and then missed the rest of the semester. So I know that was like the most horrible thing that could have happened to this girl. So she was gone, and then I quit college to pursue the music career full-time. When I went back home, I met a girl from town over through a new bandmate. He went to high school next town over, so he brought this whole new group of friends with a whole new group of girls, and I hit it off with this girl who had the same name as the girl that I liked in college. I know it's the weirdest thing but then you know I met this girl we really hit it off we started dating and actually like the first like enthusiastic yes that I ever got was interesting the way it happened with this girl we had been dating for a little while we experimented with like little foreplay type things but I, I never had an orgasm she did a couple times but I never did and finally I wanted to address what could happen in the event that like we both felt ready right? So I said to her basically like, I'm ready to lose my virginity to you. It doesn't have to be now. This is like uh, just me communicating to you that I am interested in having this experience with you for the first time. And because she came from an environment where there wasn't the consent talk and had been a victim of abuse early on, she took that as me trying to push having sex with her. And she's like, I'm not ready to have sex with you, like back off. And I'm like, "No, no, no, that's Okay, that's totally okay. I'm just telling you that when you're ready, you can come to me and not be afraid whether I want to or not. And she was like dumbfounded. Like, wait, this is happening the correct way? Oh my God, that's weird. So eventually, I guess a couple weeks later, she did come to me and she's like, I think I'm ready too. So we tried a couple of times and we had a little trouble actually getting it done. She was a very small girl. We had no idea about lubrication, like none of the stuff that I know now. So there was a few aborted attempts. But then uh, her parents went away, and I came over. She had sex in her parents' bed, but it it was big and it was comfortable. Man, like it was the most comfortable bed in the house. There were check-ins like more than once through this thing, and Mm -hmm. then like loving. It was eye contact. It was kind. It was music. It was just a beautiful way to have that first experience and even years later we're still friends and we still could acknowledge Mm -hmm. like yeah our first time was awesome because like every single thing happened the way it was supposed to and that first enthusiastic yes set the tone for every single thing that happened after and took so much of the fear and anxiety out of it for both of us we just knew where we stood
0: amazing So tell us a little bit, please, about what you learned about yourself and your desire and your likes in that time, you know, in that kind of like time period can be specific physical details or kind of like your whatever came next on your formative timeline. But I want to hear a little bit about your physical experience of sex worked in there.
1: Sure. So interestingly enough, this all set the tone for some issues that I've had up till now that I'm starting to undo is that because of that confluence of events that happened, where like my mom gave me this big consent talk, and then like my first girlfriend had had some bad things happen to her when she was younger, and I was very cognizant of those and didn't want to trigger her, or like before I even knew what trauma was, I was like helping my first girlfriend deal with it, and had to like sort of have it inform my sex life, right? Mm-hmm. Like there were things that were just triggering or scary or didn't happen much or or whatever. So what I found to end up being the safest course was to completely let my first partner set the tone, ask for what she wanted and then just serve those needs. Mm. So what ended up happening was like, I almost became what I jokingly call now, like, like a sexual butler, right? Like I didn't impose my desires or beliefs, whatever like nascent ones that I had at the time, I sublimated them. I just like, I'm like, this is not as important. Like, what does this person want? And then that became my whole focus for decades. Wow. So yeah, like I'm only getting to the point now where as a 40 something year old guy, I'm like realizing like, it's okay to want stuff. Further, it's okay to ask for stuff. But back then, no way, right? And then even to the point where like, um, having oral sex performed on me, I knew that that was something where she'd had a bad experience. I just never asked for it. And then if it did happen, I felt guilty. is she making herself do this? Uh-huh. And then, like, I lived in my head every single time it was happening. So it was not fun. So I just, like, we just shied away from it to, for, you know, to a certain extent. And then that sort of stayed with me. I'm still getting over feeling guilty as it's happening. Or if someone is actively pleasuring me and I'm not doing something back, I mm-hmm. still sometimes, like, this is not okay, man. Like, what are you doing? Like, you're so selfish, bro. Like, that stupid voice in your head. Yeah. You know? I do. So my, sex life was very centered around I have to please my partner I have to please my partner and then like you know all my female friends are like oh this guy's never gone down on me in my life you know or whatever and I'm like I'm not going to be that guy so like now I'm like you know I'm the giving oral guy right like I'm going to learn everything I can about this and I'm just going to do this and so yeah I turned into this like full service like you know sexual provider and I never let it be a two way street and it- i didn't even realize it i thought that what i was doing was like i'm actually like the superior guy i'm the superior man like i'm not the guy that's like you know pushing for things to have, to be done to me or like doing things and then ghosting you or whatever like i wanted so bad to not be like the the user the selfish guy the whatever and some of that was informed by like my dad and the way he treated my mom early on and, and like probably the genesis of that early consent talk. Right. Like, you know, and and my dad had cheated on my mom and I'm like, I'm not going to be that fucking guy either. Right. So like, I tried to live on this like super straight and narrow path where I never hurt anybody, never took something that wasn't mine. And then it just like, it kept me from taking anything for myself at all.
0: Wow. I do. And I'm sure there are so many people who can relate to that. I know my version is I didn't want to be the dead fish girl that people fucked. Like I remember people talking about fucking a dead fish and I didn't want to be that. So now I have to, you know, now it's really helpful if I get tied down to make me stop moving. Because now I've created this pattern and I, I can relate to so much of that. And I hear so much of like, I will be this way as a reaction to this thing I don't want, rather than prioritizing the desire, which I imagine. You don't sound like a boundary cross or a person that wants to be, you know, like it's, but, but just when we focus on our desires, that's still something that I'm working on too. It's like coming forward with that and being like, yes, I want. Okay. So it sounds like there's a big shift in progress between there and now what's,
1: what's happened? What's happening? I will tell you exactly what happened. So I dated the first girl that I ever dated off and on for about 10 years. I think because like I got so good at managing her trauma things and and she got good at managing myself down and whatever we stayed together way too long because the alternative was scary hmm. like oh well i'll risk all this stuff again even though we knew that this probably shouldn't have been a forever thing we did stay together a little too long but there was still love and and good feeling and all this other stuff so it just became easy to stay hard to go eventually we did break up i moved to texas to join a band and now i'm in my like early 20s it's like post 911 like we're, we're past that point. And I got to this band in Texas and it was a popular band. And all of a sudden I'm playing for big crowds. I'm opening for huge metal bands like Slayer and all these huge bands. And like, yeah, I went from being like a kid who plays drums to a drummer in a band. And like people knew who I was. And like, there was like a fame element to it almost on a, on a, on some level. Yep. And then all of a sudden, like I started getting all these overt, like, you're in this band and I want to do things to you because you're in this band. And I went from being the guy who was scared of everything and worried about like, I don't want to, you know, violate your boundaries and I don't want to whatever. All of a sudden I was like the bully that someone handed a loaded gun to. And I'm like, Oh wait, I'm cute. And people want to have sex with me. I'm going to have sex with everyone. Mm. And I turned into a fucking monster for like three or four years And I turned into the guy who was like juggling five girls, lying to all of them, you know, taking what I wanted, like being like dishonest and almost borderline cruel with the way I ended things or whatever. Because now I was like, wait, like I am a commodity and I can act like I'm a commodity. So I went from like being overbalanced on one side to overbalancing and overcorrecting completely and turned into like this worthless fuckboy for like four years. So then, yeah. And then I had to like, bring it back down to earth somehow. And what ended up happening was right around when I turned 29, I got married for the first time because I got a girl pregnant. And that's the only reason we stayed together. So my first marriage was a disaster. But I had my first two children with her, my girls. And I had these little girls and I had to like, just reinvent myself from the ground up. I was like, basically like a full-blown alcoholic. I was doing cocaine and all these other things on the road. Uh, I crashed a car high on cocaine once, walked away from that entirely unscathed. And that was sort of like a, for lack of a better phrase, like my come to Jesus moment. Yeah. Like not in fucking Motley Crue, bro. Like you have to stop living like this. You have people that are, you're responsible for it. But you're a child. Mm. Like I went from being probably more of an adult when I was in 11th grade to like, 1920 or so to being an absolute moron i developmentally regressed almost you know and then i had to like learn how to be an adult again i quit smoking i cut way back on drinking quit all the drugs got a real job you know like all this stuff and so but then i almost had to like re-examine also like okay dude the way you've been treating the women in your life is gross like you've always known it deep down Mm. you had that power you had that taste of control you weren't afraid for a little while, but really you've been afraid this whole time, haven't you? You know, and like I didn't have really like an external conversation with anyone. There was no therapist at the time. There was no whatever. It was really just self-reflection. Like almost dying in that car wreck made me examine everything from the ground up. So then I had to like relearn again like how to treat people with respect and how to be like a good person. You know, I just I, I it was Jekyll and Hyde and I had to relearn Jekyll like all over so it's been a process like i'm still you know i don't think i'll ever have it 100 percent right but i think i'm much better off now than i was but like meeting the partner i have now really solidified a lot of stuff for me because she's so emotionally mature and expected that from me you know and saw the the potential in it for me too so like you know i really she gave me this space like she never like there was never any like ultimatums or Like you have to be this certain way or I'm not going to date you or whatever. Like we both found each other post first divorce and like commiserated from that. And it was like a long distance thing. She was in California and I was in the East Coast and we met on Facebook in a random Facebook group. And it was just more like, oh, you're going through this terrible thing, too. Let's commiserate to talking every day, to FaceTiming every day, to like she flew out to hang out with me. And like we, we hit it off physically and mentally and whatever. So she moved in with me. She moved to the East coast, moved in with me and then never pushed. She just knew like, yeah, we're both kind of broken. Like let's heal together. Mm-hmm. And there was never like, you have to be this way or not. And we had spent all this time talking before we ever got physical. So we had a deep connection before the first time we ever even had sex. Wow. Right. So, yeah. It was really cool. Like, and we'd even talked about things we like, don't like mistakes we'd made, like, you know, whatever. So the first time that we had sex, when she flew to the East Coast to hang out with me, it was like we'd been together for months.
0: Lovers, this episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. If you are listening to this, you are probably like me and you love sex. And you also know that fantastic sex takes more than just a boner. But if that's all that's missing in your connection with your partner, check out BlueChew.com. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable tablets at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever the opportunity arises. You know, that's my favorite. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part, it's all done online, so no visits to the doctor's office, no dealing with the awkwardness that exists because physicians are not often given great guidance about how to talk about sensitive personal things like boner softness. Plus, no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue tablets are made in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet pack. With Blue Chew, penis owners everywhere are excited to see the postman because when your package has arrived, your package has arrived. And you know I love a good package. And I have to say, am I allowed to say this? It was very hot when I had a partner who I already had a good, trusting, open relationship. He'd been working on his anxiety, cutting down on screens, meditating. He quit smoking. He started exercising regular, cutting out processed foods, all of that stuff. He was just of a certain age. And I'll just say... The night that he told me he was making his package arrive, it was a very super hot extra layer of turn on for me personally. So if it's for you, this is a super convenient resource. Blue Chew wants to help you have better sex. Discover your options at BlueChew.com, chew it and do it. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code LOVER at checkout. You just pay $5 for shipping. That's BlueChew.com promo code LOVER to receive your first month free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And thank you to BlueChew for sponsoring the podcast. Okay, so that seems like a perfect time to tell us what you like, like specifically what you like, what you're discovering you want more of, and what you like to
1: give, what you actually like to give. So, I mean, as far as like what I like, I'm still learning. I really am. It's only been like literally in the last two or three months that I started working with a new therapist who's poly friendly, she's a certified sex coach, but she's also a psychiatrist. Like amazing, this woman's like a polymath. She's just brilliant and like knows how to talk to me too. And what my favorite thing about her is that she has like this ability to cut through like my very Irish ability to bullshit myself and others. You know, just by talking. <laughs> you know, and she's like, no, 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 that thing you're saying is dumb, and you should stop. This is what it sounds like you're afraid of, and here's why. And I'm just like. I feel like every time I talk to this woman it feels like she hit me with a bat at one point or another right you know yeah. like revelation but she's the one that really got me to see like you have never prioritized yourself like why what are you afraid of what do you want if you don't know go figure it out okay. and my partner has been so awesome like as I've been bringing this up like I don't know so she's like let's try stuff and figure it out you know so I wish that I could honestly answer that question better but what I will say is I like the idea of prioritizing myself and of like figuring out the things that I like or don't like, I'm not there yet. Cause I'm still dealing with the guilt. I'm still dealing with the feelings of selfishness. If something's being performed on me or, or whatever, but there are some things that I do know that I like that I've come to these conclusions, like working through this stuff. And also with the attempts that we've made at polyamory, because my partner and I have tried that a couple of times. I do realize now that I whether or not I'm in a polyamorous marriage, I am polyamorous. I feel that way. It's like it's like a bisexual person that's with one gender or another. It doesn't like nullify your bisexualness. It's just who you happen to be partnered with at the time. Whether or not we are doing polyamorous things, I know that I'm capable of giving and receiving love to more than one person.
0: Yep. How do you know that and when did you learn that for yourself?
1: I've always felt that way and I always felt like something that was deviant when i was younger i was like these feelings that i have totally don't make sense like how could you feel this way when this person is so good to you it's because like it's been socialized yeah absolutely and further like every single bit of media there is about love yeah sells this one very specific way to do it in america in america very true very true but that's where i happen to be so that's same, where same. i happen to be Yeah, socialize, right? Yeah,
0: I'm so bored of the jealousy love triangle narratives. I'm like, just make it a threesome, you
1: idiots. Just be poly, bro. I want to have that on a t-shirt, right? (laughs) You know, in the attempts that we made, I did meet people that were very cool. And I'm like, you know, oh, this is okay. I can do this. We can't do this right now for various reasons that we're trying to work through. But it's okay that I want to. That really was the first step, was realizing, like, this isn't wrong. It's just hard. Yes, It's really hard to do, and society makes it harder, right? But even beyond that, just, like, taking in multiple people's, like, feelings and wants and desires into account, that's a lot to juggle for anybody. Yeah, it's tough to manage.
0: And then people also change a lot. And then sometimes people... Say one thing and they think they mean it, but they actually mean a different thing. But we all don't get to find out until they find out. And sometimes they don't find out until everything gets fucked up. It's what I've learned about adulthood. <laughs> I was going
1: to say, that almost sounds like personal experience there, doesn't it, right? <laughs> I think yeah. for anybody starting out with it, you're just going to make mistakes. You're just going to. You can't do this right, right away. It's impossible.
0: There isn't a right because we, to some degree, are making every new relationship up as we go along, even the normiest kinds. Okay, so I want to ask you some specific questions to talk about the pleasure work and desire you're doing. So if you were, mm, okay, so we're in kind of a sci-fi world right now, but it's our current world, but it's a world in which you, the overlords, (laughs) have locked you in a room, a nice cozy plush room. It can look like whatever makes you feel comfortable and safe. And your partner, your real partner, not taken over by androids or anything, is there with you. The comfy agreement for everyone is for the next 15 minutes, the focus is only your genital pleasure. What happens or what might happen?
1: Well, you know, that's actually like a thing I have found the idea of really interesting is being forced to not be in charge. I think what would be really sexy is not even knowing what's going to happen. Somebody Mm. being like, whatever happens to you, dude, is going to happen and you're going to love it and you're going to just sit there and take it because that's so not me like i'm you know i hate the phrase alpha i think it's like such a dumb idea and it comes from a faulty scientific paper to begin with right but like i do like being in control and i think that there's fear you know because of that that informs that or whatever even just sitting still long enough to receive pleasure feels a little struggley for me because i have adhd and all this other stuff but like totally i think the idea of being forced to overcome that Like, someone being like, okay, dude, like, you know, you can't break out of these chains. This person and maybe more people are going to do a bunch of stuff to you, like, enjoy. Like, that's scary to me, but it's scary in a a way that seems fun, too. And I think it's why I like the idea of going to sex parties or sex clubs or whatever so much, because there is such a huge element of unknown. You don't know who is going to be attracted to you. You don't know what they're going to ask you to do. You don't know what they like or don't like. You might have to try something new for the first time. It's that element of uncontrol that I think I find just the sexy, if not more so than like, you know, doing fun stuff with other attractive people that are new, right? Mm-hmm. Like that newness is cool, sure. But I think it's the unknownness that I really, really find sexy and interesting because like, if you look at sex mechanically, there's like 15 things we can do to each other. The mouth goes on the penis or like, you know, you stick your tongue in her ass or whatever. Right? Like. Those physically don't change much, but it's all the external stuff around it that changes constantly, yeah. right? So that's the stuff that I find so interesting about multiple partners or, or even just doing things with multiple people is like, how does this thing, this mechanical act change when you change the variables? So much. That's
0: my favorite thing about having sex with different people too, which it's I'm sure you
1: experiment. get. It's like, letting, like, like letting a kid loosen a, room full of beakers and chemicals and stuff right like make something blow up i want to like i want to make a bunch of stuff blow up totally
0: yes uh yes i want to make a lot of stuff really
1: explode
0: just over and over again that's exactly what i want to do (laughs) people always write to me and they're like you'd make a great therapist you'd make a great like sex research like you should go be a sex doctor and i'm like fuck no i want to have it and talk about it publicly i can't i've shared too much it's okay i'm an anecdotal researcher this is for pleasure like this is life and pleasure I want to ask you some specific questions about the physical experiences you've experienced so far. Like how sensitive is your cock and where are its most sensitive spots?
1: So I'm fairly sensitive right around the glands. I think like most people, mm-hmm. but like, not to the point where like when I've talked to other dudes, like, you know, that I can actually have these conversations with. That's like a like a count on one hand type of thing. Right. But like, yeah, some people are just like, oh, my God, you touch that. And it's like it's over. Right. Or like, you know, it's so sensitive. I don't have that level of like ultra sensitivity for whatever reason. Like I don't. It's actually other parts of my body that feel more sensitive. My neck, like for example. Like kisses or licks or touch. Oh yeah. Like that to me has more of a direct physical like effect. Yeah. Necessarily than like touching specific parts of my penis or even my testicles. Those aren't very sensitive either. Yeah. So I've almost felt bad for people that have been trying to pleasure me because I'm like, I'm not crazy sensitive. It really did. It takes a lot more like mind work. Yeah. Cool. To get me there. Right. Because I'm not very sensitive. Like I watch like homemade porn videos on on Pornhub or whatever. Mm-hmm. And like a guy that has a job that lasts five minutes and he can ejaculate. I'm like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. Like I wish. We could just bang one of these out really quick before we have to go to the movies or whatever, right?
0: I just want to make you aware that there's so many dudes that are like, I can only last like five minutes, especially if it's a blowjob. And I just want to be able to be one of those people
1: that lasts for like ever and never comes from a blowjob. Like I literally hear it from all sides. (laughs) grass is always greater. I I know. I know. (laughs) I have a feeling that there's probably more erogenous zones to me that we haven't really gotten around to yet. My partner has been like, hey, like, what do you feel about like being penetrated? Like, you know, like ass play or whatever. Like, yeah. I mean, you have a G-spot up there, right? Let's find it. So we've just started dipping toes into that. Going slow, doing yeah. research, don't want to hurt, you know, like whatever. I know that it's like one of those things you can't just like, you know, let's do this. Also, as a paramedic, I can tell you I've seen injuries, things getting lost. Like, you just like, you know better. Always use
0: anal toys that have a base so they don't get sucked up. Always have a base. Always have a base.
1: So we are doing some more like exploratory things, like what feels good to you. When we can, the only thing that's complicated that is the time that we have right now. Like a lot of times, it has to be a little more like, well, we know what does work. Let's do that, and we'll figure out when we do have the time. My partner is awesome in that. Like, does this feel good? Does this feel good? Let's talk about it. Let me try this. Let me try this. She's like really, really great about that.
0: But wait, finish your sentence, though. Like, what is your asshole like right now? Like, is there still nervousness?
1: Is there any pleasure yet? Is it still just like, oof? I don't know. It
0: took me nine months
1: to be like, yes. You know, I wish I could say it was even just nervousness about like the physical thing and not getting hurt or whatever. But like, I'm coming Mm -hmm. from a time where it was pretty well established that if anything penetrated you anally, you were gay. I feel like I'm like a more enlightened being. a lot of people in my age group and i'm actively trying hard to like take in more information and not be ignorant. but some things are just so hardwired because of the culture that you grew up in you're a human with a nervous system right yeah i'm having to like conquer that in real time like when something's about to get close i'm like wait oh you know and and Mm -hmm, getting over mm -hmm. that idea and one of the things that i'm trying to do to get over stuff like that is like a radical yes situation Mm. We have some friends back on the East Coast that were like one of our first experiences in like a a group situation. This one uh, girl in particular, we worked together and just like sitting in an ambulance for 10, 12 hours at a time. You talk about all kinds of stuff. And I found out that she was polyamorous and whatever. And I had no idea what that was really. So she's really my gateway. She is also one of those super direct people that's like, yeah, dude, you're hot. If you ever want to do that, like, let's do it. So we had one of our first experiences with her. It was, re- it was really great. And then not terribly long ago, we had an experience with her and her male partner. And we had some drinks. who we were at the pool. Like, we were hanging out. Like, we came back to the house. Stuff started happening. Like, hetero, hetero type thing. But her boyfriend, who I didn't know this until this happened, is bisexual. And he's like, hey, man, can I go down on you? And I'm just like, all right. Like, I just said yes. I'm like, I don't know. Like, is this going to be cool or not cool? It was fine. Like, it didn't really do much for me in, like, a titillating way. Yeah. Like it wasn't bad, but I'm just like, I tried it. I now I know. I just don't want to say no to anything right now. Cause I feel like I know so little about myself that mm. like, I think that there's like probably only maybe two or three super hard limits that I just, I know for a fact, just like, we're not ever going to do that. Like blood stuff and poop stuff or what is it? Yeah, that's exactly right. Like excretory mm. stuff, bodily fluids that don't come from the genitals. Like aside from that, okay. I'm open to almost like literally anything. I just want to try everything right but like because I don't know and it's weird not knowing like I feel like I'm like just realizing that I've had this big hole in my gut for like 40 years now I feel like I'm really really good at pleasuring other people like one thing that I always say is that if somebody is having a conversation with you and they're like I'm good at sex I'm like you're full of shit no one is good at sex. you're good at sex with someone and that's only if you listen and if you listen to what they tell you they like and don't like, and if you pay attention to their body when you're doing things, you can get good at sex with a person. But no one is just magically great at sex. Like, I walk into a room, and I can fuck any one of these people and get them off. Like, no, you fucking can't.
0: (laughs) I love that thought.
1: I would love to hear, what else are you wanting to explore? Like, what's your, or what,
0: or maybe even not specifics, but like, what's your strategy here? You're in such a big area of newness. I'm also hearing that you have, a large possibility of yeses. Maybe I'm extrapolating, but maybe it sounds like also because you have a ton of resiliency and like stable foundation in your life of if it goes, I'm saying air quotes poorly, you, you know you can recover. Like you've done work on yourself. You have a therapist you trust. You have a partner who's super supportive. And it sounds like you're on the same page. So how are you kind of like navigating this next big chapter of sex explorations?
1: So, I mean, as stable as it all sounds, like the stability is also fairly new. Our second attempt at polyamory was tough. And like we went through some, some serious strife for a while. I don't think that we were ever in danger of losing the relationship, but stuff got very, very intense and tough yeah. for a while. Thankfully, we've been in couples counseling like almost as long as we've been a couple because we both very much believe nice. in therapy as like value, right? Totally even when nothing's wrong, right? Like just having a dedicated hour every week or two weeks to just talk to each other without kids or whatever, like so vital, right? So I think that we realize that right now, polyamory in its purest form, where you can have like true deep relationships with other people right now is threatening for various reasons, right? And like, there's nothing, like I'm not like angry with my partner or like, you know, whatever about it, because I understand where it's coming from. You know, there's some traumatic roots to that as well and fears of being replaced and whatever, right? And it totally makes sense. And I'm, like, meeting her where she is, which is another thing that my therapist and I've been working on a lot is, like, not trying to impose control all the time and taking in feedback, right? So like, I can relate. What we realized is that when there was these, like, multiple partnered sexual events where it was my friends from work or or whatever and it was casual, we had a lot of fun. And there was no threat, and I remember when this was all happening and glancing over, and I'm like, "Oh, my wife is blowing that dude, like that's hot, like wow, and I'd never been in a situation where like that wasn't threatening to me before when I was younger. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? so like I think that like we're realizing that like the way to do this is probably more of like a baby step situation, like let's try a sex party and see what happens, like let's go to a sex club where it's controlled, and people get like consent rules and and whatever and like maybe start to dip toes in to safer waters you know what i mean and like see what feels good what doesn't feel good because i think that neither one of us feels entirely monogamous it's just like getting there is harder than it looks Mm -hmm. and it takes time you know and there's a lot of stuff to unlearn especially if there's trauma or if there's you know things that have gone wrong you know like you can't just jump in headfirst all the time and not hurt someone and I think that I got so excited about learning more about myself that I stopped considering how difficult or not difficult it was for my partner, you know, and it was a bit of a like painful like recalibration to be like, hey, dude, yeah, like you can explore, but it's not all about you either. Mm. You have to hold each other's hand and go through this with care, you know, with respect, with, with forethought, with empathy. You know, and I guess I got so excited about the idea of, like, oh, yeah, like, I deserve the things that I want, too. Let me go get all of them at once and just, like, grab everything and, like, you know, try to run out of the store with, like, (laughs) 65 things in my hands at once, right? Don't even hold them all, you know? Like, And I think that it really took us a while to realize, like, this can be done, and it's not the end of the world, and it's not not going to happen necessarily. But, like, baby steps, man. Totally. Like, learn to crawl, then walk, then run. You know, so I think that, like, for us, the next steps really are going to be like maybe try to find a party or a vibe or a group of people that are vetted and make sense and, you know, be careful and calm and and whatever and just see what happens. Like, I love the idea of watching my wife with someone else. I really do. And then if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But I know no matter what, at the end of the day, my partner and I are going to be good. Totally. Well,
0: also, when humans say things like, even if it doesn't work out that time or if it's not okay that, I think that when we are leaping, when we are at least trying to follow our desires, I really truly believe that staying in integrity with ourselves, our own needs, and those of those who we've committed to. I think that following those desires together, it doesn't matter if it's like, oh, that was a success in terms of we tried it and we liked it. I think that's where I I get hung up at least. I think it's like as long as I'm trying, I pretty much trust that it's a matter of timing. It's a when, not an if. And so then I can day to day live a little bit more calmly or a little bit more, even if I'm oh, you know, that disappointed about XYZ art thing or sex thing or like, oh, well, it's been almost a year since I've had butt sex and like, okay, but and I can feel the parts of me that now that I've identified my desire, I'm like, I should get it now because I identified it. And that's the hard part, right? And now I'm going for it. So why don't I get it right away? But even as a solo person, I can only imagine that being in a couple makes it, you know, it's that many more spinning plates. And then you add kids and finances and life and all of it. I mean, wow. It's that's a, been
1: a lot. tough time in my life to, to like realize that I have so much to learn because I have all these other external factors that are making it harder to just go explore. Yeah. You know, like when we, yeah. when we tried polyamory the first time, we had an easier time of it because like my older kids lived in Texas. We were in New York. I saw them only for the summer. We didn't have our kids yet. We were free. We were in the biggest city in the world. And like it just made stuff easier, you know, like we could risk this. And, you know, it's only going to affect so many people for so long. We can do whatever we want. Now, it's just like even just our our spare time feels so precious that if you try something and it doesn't work out, you're like, oh, well, I could have been doing something that we know works out. So you have to overcome even your own reluctance to, like, spend the resources that you have that for us right now is like time and energy. So it's an interesting time to get here. But I'm just grateful that I did. Because you could be 70 or 80 and be like, oh, my God, I could have been doing this my whole life and I never did. And what a waste.
0: I even felt that way when I was 27 and discovered kink for the first time. I was like, what have I been doing? But it's like I wasn't ready for then. Also, this is exactly why I dream of finishing creation place and all of my project pitches, because in the desert, a hotel creation that had the grown up side and the family side that somehow in my perfect world would be like. Subsidate, like i want everyone to have like one to three weeks there a year where they can come and bring the family and the family has a safe spot for the kids to be in the daytime
1: and the grown-ups come over here and they just fuck
0: nicely and they can learn stuff and have a camp
1: yeah i mean in our culture i think they it's really set up that if you do have like the traditional nuclear family like it's not set up for you to have a sex life you don't get to be a sexual creature like you don't even get to like Talk about the things that you like sexually, like, honestly, without people being like, dude, you have kids. Like, what are you talking about? You're being gross right now, right? Like, it's almost like when you're 27 and you're like, yeah, I got tied up by a stranger the other day. People are like, right on. That's cool. Like, whatever. And then, like, your wife does it and, and tells your friends and you're like, you better do that, dude. It's just like there's such a, like, an unfair dichotomy, really? I feel.
0: Well, I'm in a bubble. Remember, I'm in a super bubble where like most of the couples I hear from are either like people I'm meeting on dating apps or people who talk to me here. So I'm like, pretty much everyone is open now, right? You know, which is not, you know, I have the bubble.
1: Yeah. One of the reasons I wanted to do this show is because I felt like people like me are underrepresented when it comes to this conversation. Yeah. Like, dude, we get to be sexual too. How can we make space for all of us? Right. And like, even just like like your pitch about a place where like the hotel creation, right? Like when I heard you talk about that, I'm like, why isn't that everywhere?
0: Well, that's exactly what I want to do. I want to do creation spaces everywhere, which will be the local version. And then hotel creation is the Mecca. And everyone can ride on cool playship buses to there and then do arts and crafts and family bonding activities. Because it's not all about fucking. It is about creativity. It is about raising our future generations with the emotional and communication tools and research tools and critical thinking skills that we need to feel okay as humans in these bodies that have very real physical needs that you know all about like because physical and emotional needs that we kind of ignore a lot because of technology because of what gets sold to us because of whatever is prioritized and like literally sex is so
1: important for all of us (laughs) yeah and then when you have kids it's almost like some like there's this like unspoken expectation that like they're the most important thing in your life and everything that you want gets to live on this like level down here. And I think that's like the wrong way to go about it because then what ends up happening is you get so many parents that resent their kids who then treat them poorly and then the kids grow up fucked up and then the cycle continues. I think that like we need to find a way societally get back to the idea that everyone deserves to have their needs met whatever they are and then you model good behavior for the kids who then grow up normal and then everybody's happier in the long run, right? Like
0: That's all I want. I just want a world where taking care of each other is the norm. Mickey, you're helping us get there. What else do we need to know about your sex life? What have we not learned yet?
1: The sexting, sharing pictures back and forth, that sort of thing has really been such a godsend for me in my relationship, especially when like time really wasn't a factor at all. Like we couldn't have sex very often or when my partner was recovering after pregnancy, like at times that was all there was, you know, and, and as a paramedic, I worked 24 hour shifts. So I'm what? gone. A whole day at a time. Yeah. I didn't yeah. know that. What? It's not everywhere, but yeah, I work 24 straight hours. Then I'm off for 72. So I've gotten to the point where I could sleep two, three hours at a time okay, and then do stuff and then go to sleep again. It's all very like fluid for me. Right. Like, but yeah. So like being away for 24 straight hours. That's a long time to not be connected with your partner or whatever. Okay. Like, it's not common. Most people go to work, they come home, they have dinner together, go to bed together, whatever. So, we have this deprivation built in. So, we have to fill that space. Like, you know, so the sex thing, even just like, man, I wish you were home because I would do this to you and this to you. And like, oh, I needed that right now because all I've dealt with right now is blood and guts for the yeah. last six hours straight. Like, this puts me back in a headspace where like, yeah, stuff in life is great. Like there is like these positive things, and I don't have to get so wrapped up in the stuff I see. It. The pictures, even like for people that have been together almost 10 years, every time I get a picture from this woman on my phone, it's like the first time I'm ever seeing her. You know, I'm just like, oh yes, yes. This is so fucking hot. Like, oh, she looks so good in this or or whatever. Like, oh, I love her hair in this or whatever. And then it just reignites it all, all over again. As much as it's great to see her body or what she's wearing or whatever. It's like, I'm thinking of you right now, sexually. It's affirming, you know? It's like, yeah, I am gone right now, but yeah, I still live in her head there. That's that's great. Yeah, Like, that's good for me to know. Yeah, fuck yeah. And sometimes I don't even realize that I need it, you know, if like I see something really bad at work, which does happen, you know? And then like, I don't even necessarily tell her, but then I get a picture or like a cute sext or whatever. And I'm like, okay, this takes me out of that bad thing and this brought me back to a good place. Beautiful. Because sex is healing, too, right? Like, we don't just need it to to meet physical needs. It's a spiritual and emotional need, too. Absolutely. So it's regulation, right? Like, for the jobs that we do that are hard, because she's a therapist and I do this, and we both hear or see bad stuff. And, like, this is how we help regulate each other.
0: Totally. Yeah, I was going to say that earlier when you mentioned that she's a social worker and you're a paramedic. My first thought was, like, that's, like, a hot, nurturing couple that also can deal with shit. Like, that's
1: intense. And the communication level is extremely high, which is, oh, it's my favorite thing about this relationship is like, we've really gotten to a point where there is, there's no secrets. There's no, when I talk to people that are partnered and they talk, like they hide stuff or they're worried about leaving their phone somewhere it could be seen or like, you know, I wish that we could just do this, but I wish that she would just listen or whatever. Mm. I'm like, I don't understand any of you at all. Like this is a solid fucking problem. It really is like, to each other. Give it a shot. Try it. Yeah. But it is and I realize I'm looking at it now from like the fact that both of us are good communicators to begin with. And then we've learned how to communicate better through our jobs. You know, it's a skill
0: and we need examples in society. How many movies do we see? Like compare in your head the number of movies you can imagine where like the struggle of the plot point is we just couldn't express it to ourselves and each other. You know, and how many movies do you see where like couples are having really thoughtful conversations that further their intimacy connection. and really like it's, we don't see it. So how do we know? How do we know? You
1: get the couples that hate each other, the old ball and chain thing. Yeah. Right. And, I'm like,
0: and then we emulate it. And then we feel justified in like the silent treatment. Cause that's what we see in the rom-coms or whatever. I don't know.
1: I do want to say something about nudes to men that are listening to this show, like taking A top down picture of your penis and sending it to someone is not flattering, man. Especially if there's laundry, especially if your feet look like they're coming out of your dick, especially
0: if you're like when when I can see like hair on the floor. It's very funny to me. But you know what is very hot? Just like when someone makes a little effort
1: and you can see the whole thing. You can see the body. You can see the person you know, I remember like one of the pictures that I sent that got more of a reaction than anything that was truly nude was like, I took a picture of myself in the shower, like pulling my hair back, like biceps flexing, nothing from the waist down. And my wife hit me like a hungry tiger when I got home. You know what I mean? It it so charged her up just because it was like, this is the visual data that like is more appealing to women sometimes, right? Like it's not just about X, Y, or Z, like set a mood, convey something to these pictures, right? Like try a little harder. You have Google, dude, like look, use it. I was thinking about that just this
0: morning as I was washing dishes because I was like, well, okay, I guess I agree that there are no stupid questions, but there are some lazy questions when Google's available now. (laughs) Like, you know, like to, to me personally, I was thinking about some of the stuff that people reach out to ask me or whatever, just like, or like on the internet. And I'm like, well, I'm not a teacher. I also will just say, I love a good, like, I like the X, Y, and Z. Like, I I want lens low. I want to see, if it's a person with penis, I want to see the penis. I like to also see the face and the body. If it's someone with boobs, kind like, uh, whatever they feel good about. But if someone never sends me a nude, then I sort of worry that they don't feel good about, you know, then I'm going to have to basically teach them how to be comfortable being naked is what it's been like in the past. <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> I know we heard about your hopes going forward, but like maybe speak to the larger kind of like overarching sexual hopes for
1: your future. I want to collect experiences. I don't want it to make it sound as cold as like checking stuff off of a checklist, but in a way, that's kind of what I want to do, yeah, I'm calling
0: it a hot bucket list. I have a bucket list, but I'm not rushing through checking off my things. I want them
1: to happen organically unfoldily, yeah, organically, yeah, yeah, I, see me too, one of the things that like I enjoy most about sex spontaneity right like i love the idea of things happening like because they happen and i do know that like you know there needs to be a certain amount of control
0: well, i was gonna say you also talked about setting up the clear frame of safety so that when the time comes you're ready to go is what i heard earlier
1: yeah and, and honestly that's why like the more research that i've done about like sex clubs and things like that sex parties where people know what they're doing i would rather wait and find the sex party that's vetted well like they know what they're doing, like people that don't follow the rules get ejected. You know what I mean? Yes. I, want it to be safe me. I want it to be safe for my partner. And, you know, then that's the environment where the best stuff happens. Yeah. So I'm trying to be patient. It's just difficult because I'm so excited too. I want to jump in through all this.
0: We are practicing letting go of impatience here too.
1: <laughs> yes, it's hard, super hard, right? But I do want to do the group stuff. I want to have sex in front of other people and have them see me. I love the idea you know, I've been a performer my whole life. I miss it, you know? And like, I love the idea of performing sexually in front of people. Like I like the idea of seeing my wife in that environment and being divorced from it a little bit and looking, you know, watching her experience things. Like that's the main stuff I think that I want to start branching out into. And like, we want to take an intro into rope classes. Like we want to like explore that And see what that does for us. And if it's not cool, like, okay, fine. We learned how to tie some knots. Like, that's useful. Another thing that we talked about, because there is a trauma element in my wife's past, is like, she brought up to me that some people are experimenting with dom-sub relationships as like a therapeutic, Mm -hmm. you know, conquering fear and getting over trauma and that sort of stuff. And like, we're beginning to do the basic research into that to see if that's something that we can like get into and explore. I have never wanted to be that guy who's like, the dom who read like one article 17 years ago and just like says and does all the wrong stuff and is super toxic. Like, I just want to avoid that, you know, but so for me, it's always research, you know, uh, measure twice, cut once, right? So we're in this phase right now where it's mostly let's explore all this stuff. So now let's read all the, let's read all the things. Let's hear the podcasts. Let's talk to people that know what they're talking about, you know? So I think that like once this year ends and we get into next year, We'll be right at the cusp of like, okay, now we can, we can try. This is just the part where we're like, learn first, then try. So no one gets hurt. It's just like, this is the hardest part. Cause I'm like, let's do it now.
0: <laughs> You're preparing. Dude, that's how I feel about all my projects. I've been working in the background for around a year, a little over a year, like on all this stuff that I'm like, I just want to share it with all of you, but it's not ready, but I still have to keep working. Okay, wait, I feel you. If you could go back in time and give younger you a piece of sex advice what age or ages would you pick and what would
1: you say? Oh, I've been waiting for this question because I would have so much to say to that little bastard. I totally would. No, but all jokes aside, I would grab myself and be like, dude, it's okay to want stuff. It's okay to want to feel pleasure. It's okay to make this about you too. And I think that like, I would try my best to undo the idea that being forward in any way Move the needle away from consent. That's the thing I just didn't get. You know, like I felt like if I wasn't just being entirely receptive, like I need you to come to me so I know that you want this. That's not true, man. Like it's just not. You like take a couple of risks, but do them appropriately. I I spent so much of my younger life bouncing from one extreme to the other, and I would have saved myself so much time and energy and heartache and guilt and regret. If I hadn't found that middle ground sooner. Mm-hmm. And I think it would have taken one good conversation.
0: And then you wouldn't have to be doing all this hard stuff right now. And it would be perfect.
1: Yeah. Ah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck yeah. Do you have a sex question for me? Your mission is so clear, like what you want to see happen with your all of your creation play stuff. The podcast, the the hotel, all of it. Like, what's the next step to increase access for everyone? Like, how can we help? As like fellow soldiers in this conflict. You know what I mean? So like, I wanted to use this question opportunity to be like, what does this fight look like five years from now? What does it look like a year from now? What's next?
0: I can tell you my best noodles because this is literally what I spend most of my time thinking about, and probably is now the reason that I remain mostly single because I am pretty obsessed with like, no, but what are today's steps? No, but what are tomorrow's? No, what am I? And I'm working on this thing. So I'll tell you, I'll start by telling you broadly and most immediately what I think we collectively can tangibly do. And then I'll tell you what I'm working on in my own like work and career. So, first, publicly speaking, I literally believe that you coming here, you having conversations with your friend, any of us having conversations with our friends, with our lovers, pushing back on assumptions anytime we notice they're there, not in an aggressive way, not in an angry way, but with gentle curiosity and love to be, or even just saying, like, oh, I hear that experience. Do you want to hear how mine is actually different? And that's, these are kind of like the way that we speak to each other. I dream of a world where, the judgment and the blame and the canceling each other in an everyday way as a righteous or self-righteous means to be like, I'm good because I told that person they were bad and wrong. I'd really love us to shift that because obviously it's so easy to get mad at everyone, especially when we're only able to see from our point of view. And so tangibly speaking, I wish that people would like talk to people outside their zone about sex, but not about sex. I think the other thing that I'm moving toward is like, not everyone's ready to talk about sex. Not everyone wants to talk about sex. Not everyone's going to address this. That's why for me, creation, place, and my push toward more broad creativity as a means to connect, that for me is the first step. So with our younger children, really encouraging their creative impulses, really making sure when I talk to my fairy goddaughter which is what I'm not Catholic, so I can't be a regular godmother. But when I'm hanging out with my three-year-old fairy goddaughter, I make sure that I ask before I take a picture of her, even if she's being really cute. And she says no half the time. and I'm like, fuck. You know, and luckily her mom will take pictures of us when we're cute sometime. And then my best friend sends me stuff. I will make sure that I am recognizing her creative abilities, but also asserting my boundaries and gentle ways and asking questions and practicing that negotiation with a little person instead of just asserting my control because I can pick her up and turn her around and make her spin. You know, she doesn't get to spin really fast on the rocket ship unless she knows that the rocket ship has the right amount of fuel and isn't nauseous right now, although she got nauseous first. You know, so broadly speaking, I really believe that it's education and Each of us identifying our desires, literally the theme of what you're talking about, I believe that when we can identify our desires, communicate about them with the people who might help us meet them, the people who love us and who support us, maybe protecting them from other people who are not supportive. I think that's another piece of it. So that's what I see, more broadly speaking, that all of us together can do right now. Also sharing sex stories, because the more the podcast numbers grow, the more easy it is for me to get other like funding from those corporations that want to look like they love pride so if we can just grow those numbers great if we could get to sixty nine thousand a week great what i'm working on specifically with sex stories that is broadening into creation place the online gallery that then will have some secret stuff on Yoli.com so that creation place is going to be a totally safe for work spot that doesn't even officially explicitly link to naked places uh, and then naked places will lead you to other secret places. First, I gotta get sex stories numbers up slash make some regular income. Part of how I'm doing that is by building out Creation place. That's also going to be the landing place where I pitch my ideas from. so investors can come and like look at my project overview. They can see what I'm actively creating, what I've been working on for the past few years. It's basically like a big resume thing. They can see my artist art, the non-sexy art. And I'm working to find the people who are already doing versions of this work that are going really well. So finding the sex clubs and sex communities and people who are doing it well and then creating a larger, more organized network so that we can have the Starbucks of sex clubs available to us all, but not me coming in and be like, I'm going to do it the best way, but finding the people who are already doing it awesomely in their communities and empowering them. So that is kind of the more broad scope that's long term. And then I have creative projects that hopefully will help fund that I just finished editing my journal entries from the year of perfect sex with my former master so that's going to turn into a book and hopefully that'll help fund some stuff so all over the place as far as I'm concerned but I sort of trust the divine timing and the unfolding and the research aspects of all of it and I feel like the more people like you who come on here and all of us you know we have common goals and it'll happen
1: If we find good stuff in Austin, that seems like it would be valuable. Would it be cool to send that your way by email?
0: Yeah. So I have an email folder of just recommendations. So whenever anyone emails me something, it goes in that folder. So I'm going to find it and organize it in the future. And then I'm going to start putting that on creation place. Or I don't know if it's going to have to be different because it may be sex related at some point. We'll see. Um, I think safe for work as long as I'm not showing erotic stuff or naked stuff or whatever seems to be fine so far. And then I want to create basically a database of stuff that's vouched for in kind of like a ongoing current way. But yeah. Yeah. So yes. Right now it's an email. Email me stuff. In the future creation place will have a spot of like, do you want Wyo to come to your area on the road trip? Is there cool stuff in your area on the road trip? Um, Would you hang out or like could Wyo park her trailer on your property? Or, you know, there's going to be places for all of that, hopefully, depending on how it all unfolds. So. Yeah. Fuck yeah. We want recommendations. Ultimately building that up and just hoping to help connect the dots in whatever way I can. Awesome.
1: Mickey, thank you so much for being a guest on Sex Stories. This was a lot of fun.